Welcome to the Sweet Run Podcast, your source for all things running and travel in super fun destinations around the world. We're your hosts, Gerald Mitchell and Natalie Mitchell. Welcome to episode 38 of the Sweet Run Podcast. And this week, we have the absolute treat of welcoming to the show, Danae Doremi. Danae is a Yale University graduate, and she is currently the Associate Director of College Horizons, a national nonprofit supporting Native students in their pathway to higher education. Danae is also the host of her own podcast called The Grounded Podcast with Danae Doremi, which explores the intersection of running, community, land, and culture with athletes of all backgrounds. And in this conversation, we have so much fun talking to Danae about so many things, including her entry into running, the influence that her dad had in her running as being a big coach in New Mexico and Albuquerque, and so many other topics that you're going to have to wait and listen to, and you're really going to enjoy this. By the end of the conversation, I promise you you're going to want to pack your bags and go to Albuquerque, hang out with Danae, go on some of the beautiful runs that she recommends, go to the Fiesta of Balloons, which takes place in October. And we messed it up a couple times, you guys. We kept saying the Festival of Balloons. It's actually called the Fiesta of Balloons. But anyway, I want to go to Albuquerque and go on all these runs and eat and drink and hang out and spend some good time with Danae. So this episode is sponsored by our friends at Inside Tracker. All right, you guys, summer is here and we are all for it. Those beautiful long summer nights. So if for some reason you didn't get up at the crack of dawn to catch a beautiful summer sunrise, you have the rest of the long evening to run and catch a beautiful summer sunset. You know, we put a lot into our training from our shoes and what we eat, how much we're running, whether we have a coach or not, and all of these details. But do we really know what's going on inside our body? It's so critical to our performance to really get an inside look on the whole picture of ourselves as an athlete. And that's what Inside Tracker provides. It's a concrete, science backed, trackable action plan that really allows you to find out all those details. You go and get your blood taken, they give you the results back, and you can see hey, is my iron too low? Is my cholesterol high? Do I need more vitamin D? and so many other biomarkers that are critical and important to your performance. We want to share with you the essentials package from Inside Tracker which is geared toward runners. It's $189 and we have a code for you. 25% off with the code SWEETRUN helps it even more and makes it even more of a sweet deal for you guys. And I know, you know, our money is important and our resources are important and what we're doing for ourselves as an athlete is important. So invest in yourself, find out what's going on inside your body and a big thank you to our friends at Inside Tracker. You guys are going to love this conversation. So here we go. Please enjoy our conversation with Danae Dormy. Danae Dormy, thank you so much for being our guest on the Sweet Run podcast. We're so happy to have you. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. <laughs> yes, we are now fellow podcasters. I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's cool. It's it's nice to um, be on this journey because I feel like you guys are in the same 
I guess, spot as me. Like you're about, you got to be 35, maybe episodes in or something, I think is what I saw. And I'm around 22 or 23. So just behind you and and still have a lot to learn, but (laughs) yeah. Man, I hear you. Same. We're like, we learn something new. I feel like every Every day, day, every week that we do an episode, (laughs) we're like, oh yeah, okay, now we learn how to do that or um and yeah, same, you know. Yeah, it takes up so much time too in terms of like just getting it out there every week and creating a routine out of it and like whether it's editing or putting something on social media, it's all of this extra stuff that um, that I wasn't necessarily prepared for from the start. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is like a second job. <laughs> but once you get into the rhythm, it definitely gets a little better, but yeah, sure. it's nice to be here. Yes. I know when I heard about your podcast, um, at the beginning of the year, I was so excited and I knew you were going to do a great job. And I love that Tracksmith is supporting you in this. Will you just tell everybody listening, like how your idea came to fruition and just the, the whole process of making it happen? Yeah, for sure. So I am, well, I guess to start, I'm an inaugural Tracksmith fellow for this 2020-21 cycle that they have. And this is the first time they've ever put out a fellowship to support. I think the original intention was to support five to six creators that were bringing um, new voices to running or um, bringing new stories to running. And so it was a pretty open-ended application. Um, So that has been a really fun experience, but basically, you know, I've been running my entire life pretty much since I was a kid. My, a lot of people probably, if they've listened to my show, which is the grounded podcast with Danae Dormy or have, um, just followed on social media, will probably know that my dad is a high school track and field coach. And so that has had a really big influence on me. And then of course I I'm also Navajo and, and I'm a citizen of the Navajo nation. And so culturally running has also been a really big part of my household. So it's kind of like, uh, two twofold, I guess you could say. And we we've always valued movement and athletics. And I think that they've really, I think that along with academics have gone really hand in hand in my household, just having my dad be an educator. So that's kind of where my journey started. And then as, um, as time went on, you know, I ran high school cross country. I've been running alongside my family, my entire life. It's always been one of my favorite outlets. I would say like, especially back when I was like a super stressed out college student (laughs) and just trying to take, I think time for myself to take care of myself. Running was always the way that I was taught to do that, I think. And, and I also just like competition. I'm not like a particularly fast runner, but I'm a very competitive person. And so I think that's like just a fun part of running for me, (laughs) but where the show really took off was that, um, I had just finished training for a half marathon. I had just run a half marathon right before the pandemic hit. So, um, probably like really early, like January of 2020, I ran a half marathon in Phoenix, Arizona, and it did not go super well for me. It was probably one of my worst races I'd ever had, I would say. And it was very hot that day. So speaking of weather, as we were talking about earlier, it was a super hot day to run a half marathon. Like I want to say it was like maybe 88 degrees in the morning or something, but it was really, it felt hot when we were out there. Like, you know, it, it had to have, my body temperature must've been way over what it should have been. So I was taking a lot of fluids, but I had trained pretty hard for it. And I did not take into account the fact that even though Albuquerque is, um, warm. 
it's very cold in the winter. So I went from training every day at a 40 to 50 degree level to this race that just totally kicked my butt. And so I think after that experience, that was really the first time I felt that like my training didn't pull me through or like running disappointed me a little bit, I think. And I was also struggling with some injuries at the time that were off and on. And it was just a really discouraging time in my running. And I had um, decided to take a little bit of a break and then the pandemic hit and it kind of, it kind of forced me to pick back up my relationship with running in a different way. And I did a, I did a 40 day streak through runner's world. You know how they host those like run streaks. I did a 40 day run streak. And I have to say that kind of like changed my outlook and really repaired my relationship with running at the time, which was not super positive. Like I said, it was one of the first times I felt really disconnected, I think from, um, from that type of movement. And I needed a, I needed a real break from it. And that 40 day streak in the middle of the summer, it was all we could do. My partner did it with me and he doesn't run as often or hadn't run as often as I did before. So it was like a big shock to his system, (laughs) but we went out there every single night, rain or shine, whether it was even sometimes like 11 PM at night. And it was really like through the run streak where I felt like I started thinking about the show because through the pandemic running was really all I had. It was my time to listen to podcasts, to listen to music, to be with my own thoughts. And I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to probably. (laughs) And it was really um, just spending a lot of time. I listened to Allie on the run a lot. And of course I was on Allie's show like earlier in, in that year in 2020. Um, And, and all of that kind of put together just really started to inspire me to take up something that had to do with storytelling. And I've always had an interest in journalism. I've always had an interest in storytelling. I love to write. I love to talk. And so (laughs) I think, um, throughout, yeah, throughout those 40 days is when I like really, um, conceptualized a lot of the project, which the goal was really to think about how running intersected with community land and culture, which were kind of the things around me that kept me going throughout the pandemic as well, right? Like my family, my um, my cultural values, and um, my partner's also Navajo. So those align for both of us, I think, in a lot of ways, and then also the land. And so, yeah, that was that's pretty much my, <laughs> my journey uh, in a not so short version. <laughs> and when the fellowship was announced, I think it was in June or July, I don't remember. And I was very intimidated by it. (laughs) I was like, a ton of people are going to apply for this. I saw the social media posting and um, I almost didn't do it. So that's the funny part. When I told Lee Glandorf over at Tracksmith, like I almost didn't apply for this. She was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I applied the night before, which was sort of um, nerve wracking because I had been thinking about this idea a lot. I had been talking to my partner about it for a few months and I was like, there's just no way I'm going to get this. I think I think it's probably going to be just that they're going to have a massive number of applicants and, and they did have a significant number of applicants, but um, I think like over 300 in the end, but I decided to do it much uh, mostly due to my partner. I would say he really encouraged me to submit the application and sat down with me while I wrote it all up and, and was like, okay, I'm putting pen to paper and I'm going to go for it and see if I can make something of this sort of dream that I had had. And yeah. And that's where I am now. Now I'm 23 weeks in (laughs) and here we are. (laughs) Nice. Congratulations. It is so awesome. I've, 
listened to a couple episodes and I just, I love the direction that you're going and the stories that you've been telling. And it's such an amazing, it's a great addition to the running space, you know, and um, I love your energy and, and what you bring as a, as a storyteller. So yeah, I'm super happy that you're doing this. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's been super fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I wanted to go back a little bit and ask, what was it like pros and cons of running for your dad in high school? Or was it? (laughs) That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I was lucky because my dad, even though he ran middle distance um, in his own career. So my dad ran for the university of Colorado Boulder. And then of course he ran in high school here in New Mexico. And so he ran more like the four 800. So he was either 400 or 800. And so luckily for me, that meant he didn't really heavily oversee the distance team. So we had distance coaches, but he was still, um, my coach (laughs) and, uh, you know, it was an interesting experience. I think because he was also my basketball coach and I was primarily a basketball player in high school. So I was like the Metro student athlete of the year and basketball was what I did. Like that was the sport that most people knew me for, I think in high school. And I really honestly thought I was going to go to college for basketball by the time I was like a junior. And that plan just didn't end up like, I guess, uh, happening mostly because of my academic trajectory, but I think it was much more difficult in basketball, actually, as, just because it was a high pressure sport. We were, I was at a big high school. And so being a 5A school like in New Mexico where we don't have any pro teams, and I think that actually makes a big difference. High school sports mean everything here. That's what everything revolves around. So everyone knew that my dad was the coach. He's a pretty legendary coach in New Mexico. He has the, I want to say it's the most um, wins of any girls basketball coach in Albuquerque public schools history. And so, or he's, he's had that role at one point. And I think he's only like of a handful of coaches in the state to have hit, you know, the 400 win mark in girls basketball. So he's got a lot of accolades that I think made it really high pressure to play for him. Cause he was already, you know, a couple decades into his career when I played for him. And so to me, track and cross country were more, it was kind of like a a breath of fresh air for me. Like I could relax a little bit because we had such an intense relationship during the basketball season. And he was pretty good at actually like being hands off with me in track and allowing me to go to my distance coaches for support. And it was, it was a hard experience because in basketball, I was used to being um, good. (laughs) I was used to being good at the sport. And so, um, I felt like, okay, I'm proving myself, right? Like I'm proving myself to be here. And I think in, in track and cross country, I always, I didn't want anyone to think I was only on the team because of my dad. But the lovely thing about running is that it's who gets to the finish line, you know, the fastest, I think. And in a way that sometimes I think was really validating for me because I had to actually like fight to be the seventh runner on my varsity team in high school. And that was really hard because we had a, we had a run that determined who was like going to float between, you know, JV varsity. And there were seven spots always up for grabs. And it was kind of like a claw my way into the seventh spot situation, all four years of high school. And I think it was cool to know that my dad was really proud of me for doing that. And so while I had a much more, I guess uh, my basketball career was had a lot more fanfare to it. I always felt really, really, um, 
I think accomplished and proud of myself more for my running career, because that is actually where I felt like I was most improved. That's where I felt like I had to learn to be, um, you know, a, a contributing member of a team. I wasn't the captain of it. I wasn't the best at it. I wasn't even in our top five scorers. And I had really, really, really talented teammates. It was like, I, had to run as hard as I could because the seventh spot on the cross country team always still matters. And that was just a really important lesson. And so as an adult, I actually think like I'm really good at losing too because of cross country. Like that's the <laughs> one thing I feel like I, I, it doesn't usually rattle me very much. Um, like the experience I just recounted of that half marathon feeling a little down after was really unusual because I would say that throughout my adult life, if a race didn't go well, or if um, something didn't pan out, I always felt like I was, I was okay with that. And I'm pretty resilient in that sense because of high school cross country. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, I always wonder like when there is a parent child relationship, that's also a athlete coach relationship. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you, did you feel, you know, in high school, did you ever feel the pressure of having to perform at a certain level because of who your dad was? Yes. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, that didn't necessarily mean I had a bad relationship with my dad. I actually feel like my dad and I had a pretty healthy, um, coach athlete relationship and father daughter relationship. You know, my dad's always been my best friend. And I think that like being able to talk to him about everything and anything really helped playing for him and running for him because it meant that we, we had to figure out how to like leave certain things at home and leave certain things. Like there were times where, you know, I was grounded. Right. And then he had to like start me in a game the next day. And then there were times where I played really like not so great, or maybe I like had an attitude or something, but then I had to go home and talk to him about like my homework or something. So, <laughs> you know, like when you think about it like that, those like alternating roles, that is a balancing act that I think takes a lot of practice from the parent and the student or the, the child. And so, um, yeah, I think I'm really grateful for it though. Like now that I'm an adult, I'm like, wow, probably one of the best experiences of my life was playing for my dad in basketball and getting to um, run with him and watch him be a coach in, in track and cross country because I think I had heard so much about my dad and my grandpa's also like a very legendary like sports figure in the state and um, used to preside over the board for the New Mexico Activities Association, which runs all of the sports and activities in the whole state. And so I think knowing I just had like that pressure and that my dad was um, a very, very good athlete, I think I was always worried that I wouldn't live up to that athletically. And so that's why I really like worked my butt off in school. And I think that paid off in its own way as well. So, you know, it was just um, a matter of finding my self-esteem in a different context, I think, and then learning to take the positives out of sport. So, yeah. Yeah. I think finding, uh, carving your own path to Yale wasn't so, uh, wasn't so bad, eh? <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, exactly. And I, I was really grateful for that. And my dad was super supportive of it. Like he wanted me to follow the academic journey that made sense for me. Um, you know, he, he always said, you know, you don't have to be a college athlete if you don't want to like, you know, and, and if, and if I had had the opportunity, I think I was like, oh, this, this would be wonderful, but he was always going to be proud of me. I think no matter what, what pathway, um, I took. And so, yeah, I'm just, I think I'm just most grateful for the fact that my dad always valued being a student and an athlete equally. 
It was never like, it was never like, you're just a student. You need to put your schoolwork first. Sports don't matter. Right. And it was never like, you need to go to basketball practice and put away your schoolwork. He was, he did a really good job of being very 50, 50 about those. And I think it just taught me to like, be proud of the schools that I've represented and um, yeah. And just like, and just like really thrive in both spaces. <laughs> well, shout out to your dad, Doug. It sounds like he did an amazing job and, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it really says a lot when you can just have this like really special relationship with your parent. Like you said, he's your best friend and just, that sounds like a really special relationship. And I mean, Danae, that's pretty awesome. Like you're here, you are, you know, you're a kid in Albuquerque. You're, you're obviously doing really well in your academics and sports. And then you go off to Yale, which is yeah. <laughs> huge. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Did you, did you compete uh, athletically at Yale or was it just a focus on academics? Um, so yeah, the Yale experience, it was a hard one, <laughs> but I made it through and I'm really grateful for the years I spent at Yale and for graduating and, and getting through, um, those four years, which I think college has its ups and downs. I think going 2000 miles away was very challenging. Mm -hmm. And especially as a native student, there's a lot of layers to the college experience of being at, um, I think, I think most people of color at least can, uh, commiserate with attending a predominantly white institution if that you know was your experience out there and you're listening like that's something that I really um, struggled with and I think being a native student um, as well it meant that the institution that was there was also very much there due to the displacement of the indigenous people of that region. And so I think that was really apparent to me and coming from a place like Albuquerque, which definitely isn't perfect, um, but is more, I think, diverse just naturally. And um, there's a lot of like native people around me here and my family is here. So there's a lot of people who look like me here. I think it was, it was definitely a culture shock and I thought I was ready. Like I was like, Oh yeah, I'm tapped in. Right. Like I, I did grow up in the era of social media. I did read a lot. I was aware of the news. Like I felt like I was prepared to step into that space and I really wasn't. And I think there was a lot for me to learn in that context, but um you know, I didn't play sports there. I did attempt to walk on to the women's basketball team. And essentially it was, I actually had kind of a bit of bad luck. I came in on a class of like five really, really good uh, first year players. And uh, it, one of them ended up winning rookie of the year for the Ivy league, I believe. And so it was just a tough class to try to like walk on the team with. And I went through the motions, went through some practices and tried out and everything, which in itself was, um, I think even difficult to get to, right. Like giving your videotapes up and going through the clearing house and putting like emotional energy into the process. That's still necessary. Even if you're going to try to go through a walk-on, um, situation. And basically the coach was really kind. And she was like, you know, I, I can't really promise you like a consistent spot. Like you could be a practice player who potentially works your way into a position. And I just said, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And I decided to focus on other stuff and I ended up finding time to do a lot more. So I joined the native community, um, there on campus and was really involved in the powwow drum group. I was president of the association of native Americans at Yale, but probably one of my favorite things I did was that I was the basketball beat reporter for the Yale daily news. And so wow. <laughs> I went for women's basketball. <laughs> and so for, uh, for at least, I think it was like a year 
a year and a half, two years in there, I was writing articles for the sports section. And it was really nice because it gave me a reason to go to the games and just support some of the girls I had met through that tryout process and get to establish relationships with uh, the players on the team and, you know, get quotes from them every weekend and write up reports. And I think it taught me a lot about sports writing and going through that kind of quick turnaround process. And that really uh, inspired me to kind of continue on. And uh, I did newspaper in high school. So that was kind of like a, I think a natural space for me and a natural way for me to express my love for the game too. So yeah, that it was a nice silver lining, I think, is it opened up time to do other stuff. No, that that's awesome. And it sounds like you are just kind of a, a high energy person anyway, because if you're <laughs> doing the work to go to Yale, writing for the school newspaper, star on the basketball team, the scrappy person who makes her way on, in her own fashion onto the cross country team. And who yeah. knows what else you were doing that we haven't even I was also about. in marching band, but I think that was it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Did you say marching band? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, was, my sister, you know, my little sister is actually, she just graduated from high school. We're 10 years apart and she was the drum major of the marching band. So she did a lot of the same things as me, but we both are big band nerds. Like we both played the flute and piccolo and band was actually a really big part of my life. So yeah. yeah. Okay. I wait, just- hold on, hold on, hold on. I have to say really <laughs> quick, Danae, we have, a, there's a, some similarities there that I have to point out between the two of us. <laughs> Because I played in the band for a long time in orchestra and played the flute and oh, loved cool. it. Just and when you were saying that, I was like, oh my gosh. And I had at one point I had to pick between band and athletics mm-hmm. because it kind of overlapped. And so I picked athletics, but um, but still loved it and then ended up playing. But I didn't never knew you played the flute. That's awesome. That's you that's so cool. I love meeting uh, other people who are in band or understand like that musical uh, mindset and experience because it was such, it was the only, I do think this is important to point out because it was really the only outlet I had that didn't really um, overlap with like my dad's presence at school. And so I think that was a really important thing for me is, you know, even in, uh, so because I was editing the sports section for the high school newspaper, um, I was constantly in contact with my dad, who's the athletic director. So (laughs) I even had to do stuff, you know, to be in touch with him through the newspaper. Um, I had to, you know, be, be on his teams. That was a big, that was like all the rest of the stuff I was doing. So being a part of the marching band and getting to, um, just be a member of the flute section and like, I don't know, just do this totally different experience that I'd been doing since I was a kid, uh, I think was one of my favorite activities in high school. And so my sister and I bond a lot over being band kids. And I, I loved that uh, doing that. I think that was one of my favorite parts of high school. That's awesome. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. I actually did have something that came up while you were talking and I, and I wanted to go back to it really quickly. I thought it was so funny. And I wanted to ask you about this. So you were like, yeah, you know, I remember like, I have, you know, being into this high school student and if I would get my dad would ground me, whatever. And you said it. And I was thinking about the grounded podcast. And I wanted to ask you, (laughs) how did you come up with the name? Which I love, by the way. Yeah, great. Yeah, no, perfect segue. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, I think for me, I was toying around with names that uh, has nothing to do with being grounded by my parents at at certain points in high school. (laughs) Um, but I do think I wanted to find a name or a word or a phrase that would exemplify or represent my relationship with the land. That was really important to me. And I think that's something that I spend a lot of time talking about. And I am very, very grounded myself in where I live. 
And so I've always been really, I think, proud of where I come from, both from my own like ancestral homelands, like where a lot of my family still lives now and where like I have to visit because I am located in an urban environment, but also of the urban environment I'm located in. I think it's really important that I represent like Albuquerque in this area, I think positively because a lot of people, especially when I got to Yale, had a really has a really negative viewpoint of New Mexico and and specifically of Albuquerque, mostly due to the show Breaking Bad, (laughs) Um, which, which is funny because like, I really love that show. Like it's a great show, (laughs) very thrilling. Um, And the like landscapes that are shown in Albuquerque there are really beautiful, but because of the narrative, like I think a lot of people um, outside of New Mexico have a very, a very narrow um, picture of what it means to be from here and what it means to live here. And I didn't grow up with like a lot of money. And so, you know, I think, I think going to like my local public school system and being in a, in a setting where I was around a lot of kids that were like me and is just in this really diverse environment, it just like meant a lot to me to be able to represent Albuquerque high and, you know, the community around me here. And that's something my parents always felt really strongly about and, um, really like, emphasized with us. And so I think when I thought of the name, I was like, okay, what am I like grounded in? We kept actually saying, I was me, we, meaning me and my partner were brainstorming and we kept saying the word grounded. Like we were like, oh yeah, I'm grounded in land. I'm grounded in community. I'm gra-. And I think once I kept like repeating it, I was like, why don't I just call it grounded? <laughs> and so it was very simple. And I think, um, you know, when you're choosing podcast names, as I'm sure you all know, you're like kind of anxious, Googling other people's podcasts, trying to figure figure out what will make, you know, will allow you to make your own mark. And so I kind of had to just throw that out the window eventually and say, okay, whatever it is, I'll just add with Danae Dormy at the end, because I want it to fit me. And I want whatever word or phrase I use to really represent what I'm talking about here. And so I, I think that's important. I also have a faraway dream, um, that I haven't really expressed too much on any other interviews of interviewing people from different sports and different like um, areas of, of interest. So right now my focus is really running community land and culture, but hopefully at, at some point I'll get to branch out into more like sport and movement, um, you know, land community and culture. Cause I'm a big history buff. I love thinking and learning about the way in which sports have shaped the social consciousness, I think. And that's like one of my favorite things to read about. And I think that comes from my relationship with my dad. That's like mostly what we talk about. He raised me up like watching ESPN 30 for 30s. And so when that's when that's how you grow up, I think that's kind of what I do for fun. And so that's a faraway dream for me. So I wanted to leave the name open-ended without the word running in it intentionally so that I could potentially grow the show. What was your experience like you know, being at Yale, coming from Albuquerque um, with the sense, because when you said, you know, I went 2000 miles away from home, the first thing I thought of was you walking around campus going who or what people were here before this institution, what's under the ground, right? What What's mm-hmm. under the, 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 you know, and also then representing Albuquerque, which, yeah, you know, Breaking Bad, you know, it's, it's kind of a challenge to love a show, but then you got to go, oh, you're kind of the rest of the world or, or the country's like not looking mm-hmm. at my state, my home, the way I know it 
but I'd still love the show. So those kind of two things, you know, just being a person going out into the world, what was that like for you? You know? Yeah. You know, (laughs) well, one of the things that happened to me like early on in my time on campus at Yale was I was actually walking around. I think it's the graduate school, actually. It's a, it's a building right in the center of campus. And, and at Yale, there's all the buildings are very gothic, you know, neo-gothic architecture. They're, they're beautiful, but I was just exploring campus. A lot of undergraduate students utilize the library at the law school, or, you know, we, we find our way into some of the magnificent buildings there. And I remember I was kind of just meandering around and I was walking through, I believe it was the hall of graduate studies and there were stained glass images all along the wall um, of the hall of graduate studies. And I remember like looking up and being like, Oh my gosh, like there were images of like, of like, it was mostly religious, uh, religious figures. And mostly it was native people either clearly being like, I guess, I don't know if it was some act of violence or it was clearly a depiction of like enslavement um, or uh, it was it was just not good images again uh, on that wall in the stained glass. And it was just like right there. It was just really, really jarring in plain sight, I think, to be walking around and be like, whoa, there's literally images in some of these stained glass paintings that were um, of my, you know, or not even my, the, the people who inhabited that area being killed essentially. And so, um, you know, I think one thing that the native students are aware of is that the Quinnipiac people, that's the, that's the, their homelands there uh, on Yale's campus. And their tribe was, um, was diminished essentially um, due to the the colonists in that region. And so the closest tribe to us was the Mohegan tribe or is the Mohegan tribe um, still nearby there in Connecticut. And we were very fortunate to have a really great relationship with that community. And so they, ho- their, their tribal casino is where we hosted our native student graduation ceremony, which was always really special to kind of go off campus for that and be on tribal lands and be welcomed in by the Mohegan, um, usually the Mohegan chief and some of their community members mm-hmm. who we know pretty, who we knew pretty well. And I, I know the students there now still have a relationship with that community and they would you know honor us there um, in that setting as well as our regular Yale graduation and I think given the pretty small percentage of native students around the country graduating from just undergrad uh, undergrad programs each year it was a really significant achievement for all of us to be sort of walking the line and um, you know finishing our degrees and so they the NACC or the Native American Cultural Center which I was very blessed to have as a student that was just like an amazing resource um, they did a good job of of introducing us to the Native community in the area I think the cool part about being a Native student is at Yale it is it meant I was never limited by the Yale community and this is a mindset that I think um comes from just my own value system and being a native person is that no matter where I am, like I knew from my freshman year that I could go beyond the Yale campus borders, right? Like it was like as native students, if we were organizing for indigenous people's day or um, having a protest, like we would call on the greater New Haven indigenous community. And it was really cool to sort of be able to cross those boundaries and say, okay, we're going to like stand together and make this area a better place. And I think that always comforted me the most was actually having the the New Haven like native community um, there with us sort of alongside us. So that that really uh, helped me through my experience. But I think 
I think it was really emotional initially because I just like there was just so few Native students when I showed up on campus. And now the resources that they have um, halfway through my college experience, they built a big, beautiful Native American cultural center that I did get. I had the privilege of taking advantage of that for a couple of years. But kind of the first moment I was on campus, my my freshman year was was very different. <laughs> there was so few of us. So I kind of saw like the transition of the community happen actually at Yale in a lot of ways. Um, just going from feeling like it was super small and isolated to feeling like it was just this flourishing community was really beautiful to watch. And and um, see more Native students uh, go through campus. And now I'm going to watch my sister go to college. She's not going to Yale, but um, she's headed to Stanford on the other coast. And she is, um, you know, hoping to join the Native community there. So it's it, it was good to be able to pass on some of this knowledge, because I think no matter where you go, I mean, if it's an institution, it's most likely... Uh, it's most likely founded on displacement or genocide or violence. And so you just, I think as native students, it's important to connect with other native students and understand your own purpose for being there and, um, you know, ground yourself in that community so that you can feel, um, you know, your best in those spaces, because that can be really mentally challenging. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Wow. That's really powerful to hear it from your perspective. And I'm sure everybody listening is going to gain a lot from that. Like, yeah, I think it's really, it's important for these stories to be told and to, to hear what it's like to go to an Ivy League university from a native standpoint, you know what I'm saying? As far as yeah. like, what was that like for you? So thank you for sharing that. I was, yeah. I was very hanging on to your words there. Yeah. Um, as a proud <laughs> um, Albuquerquean, should we, should we start? I would say Burkenya. Oh, thank you. Oh, okay, I like it. You. Okay. Should we start, should we start repping yes. Albuquerque the prop the right way? Yes. I, and I do before we, before we dip our toe, because Danae is going to tell us everything we need to know about Albuquerque. I wanted to ask you quickly, how is your running coming along yeah. these days? I'm actually injured, sadly. <laughs> I'm still still nursing a little bit of an injury coming off of last year. Um, and it ended up being a bigger issue I think I needed to address, even though I was running through last year and had a, a pretty successful, like I said, running streak. Um, yeah, I think I've just been nursing some issues in my feet. It, it, I, would even, I would even say it's not so much an injury and more so just um, – a lack of strength that I really need to address now, I think at this point. Um, one thing a lot of people who listen to my show will probably know is that I have a lot of foot problems. <laughs> and so I have accessory navicular bones in both of my feet, which causes a lot of issues. Uh, somewhat rare, not a ton of people have them. Uh, and, uh, and even fewer people have, uh, have symptoms from them. And so I get a lot of flare ups from that, that feel, I would call, I always say they feel similar to like an ankle sprain. Like anytime I get a flare up and it just, they're, they're basically bones that sit uncomfortably in the middle of a very important tendon in my foot. And so it causes a lot of tightness. It causes a lot of weakness. And it's something I've been dealing with since high school, but it's gotten worse and worse as I've aged. And so um, I know at this point I have to address it, but I did get a chance to go to Golden, Colorado the last time I was in Boulder, which is an important place to my family. And um, I'm super happy because I follow the Instagram account Gate Happens, which if anyone out there listening has foot issues, 
issues. Um, they might know of this Instagram account because I think they have a ton, like thousands of tens of thousands of followers on there. Um, and they, they share a lot of content and it's these fabulous, um, women doctors who focus primarily on like foot and ankle strength. And so I had the chance to go see them in person and work with um, Dr. Conley. And so she is amazing. And she gave me a kind of a six to eight week plan where I'm just not running at all. And I'm focusing on walking and biking and swimming and uh, strengthening my feet so that hopefully, I mean, our hope is really that it will be a long haul, maybe literally a year before I'm really running the way I want to be running. Um, um, which is what I'm hoping for because I deferred my New York City Marathon um, till 2022. So I'm admitted and I'm supposed to run that in 2022. So I'm really hoping that that I get that opportunity. It would be my first marathon. So. Oh my nice. gosh, that's so yeah. exciting. You know, you're doing it the right way, I think. I mean, just starting like slowly getting stronger, working on the strength and you're going to be so ready. I'm gonna I hope so. On, Thank you. you on. That's, that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Well, you know, I can't wait to talk to you about Albuquerque. I've been there one time over like a weekend. So I really can't even say that I've really oh, cool. <laughs> immersed myself in it. But if we were coming to Albuquerque, where would you tell us to go for a run or runs? That's a great question. And I will start by saying that this is also Tiwa territory. So we are surrounded by many Pueblo communities here. So we have um, over 20 tribes in New Mexico. It's, I want to say we have 23, well, it might be 22, don't quote me on that. But we have uh, a lot of tribes in this region specifically. And we have we are surrounded here by Pueblos um, and, and their communities. So I always like to point out that I'm in Tiwa territory, also known as Albuquerque. And my top go-to running spot, if you just have a quick moment in the city, would be probably the Bosque path. And so that is just a beautiful, gosh, I think it's over 20 miles of um, just beautiful, like a nature walk essentially that you can bike, you can run, you can walk. It's really awesome. And the bike path is actually separate from the running path and it's right along the Rio Grande river. And so I think it's, it's a really popular spot for flat train. It's completely flat too. So if you're looking for like an easy run somewhere, you can go fast for a long time. That is the place to go. And I think even if you're just visiting, like that is on honestly the best place I think to go on a bike ride, um, just because it is flat fast and, and kind of never ending in a way. And it's, it's just really good sightseeing. There's a lot of awesome, uh, bird sightseeing, I would say. <laughs> we have a lot of really cool birds in New Mexico, which is kind of like nerdy. But I think if you live here, you probably know that like we have, we're very famous for um, a specific type of crane that migrates here uh, during a time of year that a lot of like the birding community comes here to view the birds along the Bosque and along the river. And so, um, a lot of, a lot of big predatory birds, we have like eagles and hawks and falcons and owls. And oftentimes if we're on the Bosque, I, I see some of those as well. And bats, we have those too. Mm. And, um, of course you might run into a coyote or like a road runner. So there's a lot of wildlife actually in the city. So we see coyotes pretty often roadrunners live in our yard in our neighborhood. So that's why I like that trail. <laughs> I want to go on a run and see a roadrunner. That would be so great. <laughs> yeah. Cool. yeah. I can text you a picture. They are outside our yard. Most hours of the day, they 
definitely communicate with our dogs. They're very smart birds. <laughs> They're so silly. Most of our friends that come from out of town freak out the first time they see them. And I mean, they are as common as any other bird in, in, on our street anyways, and here in Albuquerque. So it's always so funny when people from out of town come in, they're like, is that a roadrunner <laughs> like from the cartoon? And I'm like, yeah, that's the roadrunner. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay. So what's the altitude in Albuquerque? What is the elevation? Oh, that's a good question. I shouldn't say the altitude um, elevation. I meant to say. Okay. Yeah. 5,000, about 5,300 okay. Um, okay. Good elevation. Yeah, feet. So yeah, we have, we're pretty, we're pretty high up here and, um, it's even higher if you go run at like the base of the mountains, obviously, or you go into the mountains. We have a lot of trails just outside of the city. The nice thing about being here is that there's just so much trail running and I actually do a little less trail running than I think people think I do. I actually love like road racing and, and being on flatter, faster trails, but there's amazing trail racing and running here. And a lot of that takes place in the foothills, um, just basically right there at the base of the Sandia mountains. And they kind of loom over our city at all times to the East and they're beautiful. And so that's the, and Sandia is like, they turn basically pink and purple, um, you know, every evening. And so we have great sunsets here that usually kind of bounce off of the mountains. And so it's just an awesome place to live if you're into the outdoors in any way. Yeah. yeah. So if we wanted to go on a trail run, you would tell, tell us to go there to. Yeah. I mean, it just depends on the difficulty because, uh, you know, a lot of people here, it's kind of a feat to run the La Luz trail. It's a pretty famous, uh, trail race here in, in the Albuquerque kind of, you know, Sandia mountain area. And there's a ton of little trailways that you can just pretty easily get to if you drive to the edge of the city um that flow right into the mountains so yeah that would definitely be the place to go for the for a trail run um what's nice is that that would be like if you're looking for more technical stuff but if you're somebody that likes to run on dirt which for me as somebody who's injury prone we have like the best city for that because we have a lot of dirt here <laughs> and, um we have a lot of like urban trails and i think that's really that's really awesome that we get to take advantage of like i said the bosque you can run the entire thing on the dirt if you want to so there's like a dirt path there's a bike path um there's even some offshoot paths that are like a little softer dirt so um you've got that you've got the unm north golf course which is a really awesome place to run and that is kind of like a an easy uh two mile loop well my friends would probably be very mad at me if I said that because it's it has a lot of hills but um that's where my high school cross country team trained so for me I was like got very used to it <laughs> and I I still think it's like a relatively easy run but I think if you're like running it for the first time you're like there's kind of a lot of hills on this but it's a perfect two mile loop that goes around uh the UNM North Golf Course the university golf course and the UNM law school. And so that is a lovely, like right in the center of the city, um, dirt path. That's always got people on it. Yeah. Mm. So really, really easy access. You're not having to take a car and go all out of town just to get up, just get the run. Depending on where you live. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think there's some further out communities in the city that maybe don't have the same quick access to like those dirt paths, but I'm, I live closer, um, in, towards the center of the city. So I think that's, that's always helpful when you're around a lot of stuff and you're able to, um, quickly access, I can run to a lot of places. I feel like from where I live without having to even get in a car. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So now that we've taken, uh, you know, worked up a good appetite and we're right in the middle of the city, where are you going to send us to uh, grab a bite? Whether it's 
And when you do breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'm, I'm up for all of it. I, I, okay, this is like such a loaded question for somebody from Albuquerque. <laughs> I, I do not want anyone, if anyone is from New Mexico and listening to this, please don't roast me because people have such varying opinions on what is the best food here. Food is the like thing here. And yeah. New Mexican food is legendary. It is kind of... Um, it, it's just its own unique cuisine, essentially. And a lot of people who think about chili think about, I guess the easiest way to say is they think about chili with an I and not chili with an E. Mm. And in Albuquerque, or really in all of the whole state, um, there we, we serve a lot of our dishes with like red or green. That's, the, that's actually the big question in our state is like red or green. What do you like? Some people like Christmas, which is both. Um, and that's what you're going to specify at any restaurant. We put chili on literally everything. I eat chili on like our cheeseburgers, our pizza, um, on breakfast. So it's literally on everything. And I think it's always important to distinguish that because a lot of people think chili is like more of a soup meat based thing. But in New Mexico, it's really more of um, like a sauce that you're putting on top of a lot of things if it's red chili. And then for green, it's usually like chopped green chili mm -hmm. that is roasted that you can also put on top of stuff. And so, um, you know, it just depends on which one's hotter that day, you know, which one that restaurant excels at making. Um, a lot of people make their own chili here. So chili is huge. It is literally like the lifeblood of our state. And <laughs> I think that's important to point out. Uh, and everyone has different favorite New Mexican restaurants, Albuquerque specifically, and also Santa Fe, and also a ton of little small towns all around New Mexico, um, I think have a lot of like mom and pop New Mexican uh, restaurants. So my favorite place to go in Albuquerque is probably uh, Monroe's restaurant. Um, and that place is one where I just love getting like red chili enchiladas. I love putting an over easy egg on top of my enchiladas and you could get those chicken, beef or cheese. But I think the special way that New Mexican restaurants make that you really can't go wrong. I also highly recommend El Patio, which is a restaurant that is right near the University of New Mexico. And it's also kind of like a very small kind of like little hole in the wall area or little hole in the wall shop. And it's, uh, it, they serve great food and I love them. And then I also love a good, cause if you're in New Mexico too, like good margarita. Yes. <laughs> um, so I like also point that out a good margarita, which I love, uh, going to Los Cuates, which is a really great restaurant as well. Um, but the one thing I did want to mention after throwing out some of these names is also Frontier Restaurant, which is the one that can cause a lot of like controversy. Either you love it or you hate it, I think. <laughs> um, I think most people, for the most part, I think people love it for the nostalgia. Frontier is like the very famous establishment to go to in the middle of the city. If you have one day in Albuquerque, most people will tell you to go to Frontier Restaurant. And I personally love Frontier, but a lot of people have varying opinions. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 awesome. It's a huge like four room. It looks like a barn also very close to the University of New Mexico. It's been on a lot of like Food Network shows. They serve a really great cinnamon roll there. If you go to Frontier, I highly recommend just ordering a breakfast burrito with green chili and a cinnamon roll. I think that's just like the unbeatable combination. I love it. <laughs> I, I could eat it every day, probably. Every time I came home from college, 
Luckily, Frontier was always open until like 2 a.m. So we would drive directly to Frontier from the airport. And I think that's definitely, um, I think, I think most New Mexicans too, like whether you love Frontier or not, would probably recommend that anyone visiting would, would head over there to grab a bite to eat. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I learned that chili, uh, lesson, um, late in after college i was visiting my friends uh my best friend um his grandfather and he we were spending the night at his house we wake up you know early in the morning and he's like hey do you want some chili and i'm like man it's like 7 30 in the morning i don't want a bowl of chili <laughs> you know and, he, and he's in there chopping away his green chili and he's making it from scratch right there and i was like ah sorry yep. wrong chili and yes, I would love get, some on my eggs. <laughs> yes, I, it, I have to have it with breakfast. Yeah, we used to get chili. Uh, my partner and I, he, I, we met at Yale, but he's from Albuquerque too, which is something that a lot of people are like, oh my God, you met there. <laughs> and it was very helpful, I think, to be with somebody from like the 505 out in Connecticut because it meant that we were missing the same foods at the same time. And so we were super lucky because we would always... Um, try to ship chili to ourselves. <laughs> and so it was like super awesome. Anytime we could, we could kind of hoard chili in our dorm rooms in college, we would take it to the dining hall and we would put it on our food at school. And it literally made it feel more like home. Like, I think if you just top things in chili, I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's great. So yeah, we put it on everything. Like I said, just pretty much anything you could list chili is on it here. <laughs> when you describe that meal, I was like, I am so hungry for that meal right now. I want to get on a plane, come to Albuquerque and hang out with you and come <laughs> have that meal. The breakfast burrito with the cinnamon yes. roll. Oh my gosh. And you guys like listening, it's like six o'clock right now. We haven't had dinner. This sounds amazing. I wish I could <laughs> like get you some because yeah, it is really awesome. Food is the number one thing I missed. I would say other than my family <laughs> when I went to college because it actually I realized had been so foundational like to my upbringing, like just eating like beans, tortilla, rice, enchiladas, like you know, just all the food that we eat here, like it wasn't easily accessible, especially New Mexican versions of that food, I think really made me homesick. And so my favorite part about being back at home now and living here full time is just getting to be able to eat at all these amazing restaurants that, that I love. <laughs> I'm sure it's totally different to get that kind of, you cannot get that kind of food in Connecticut. <laughs> no, it's different. We did have a really, um, we had a really big population of like immigrants from like central Mexico. And so I think New Haven was a really diverse community that was actually very much, um, very much driven by its international food. And I would say I was really lucky to have a lot of food there. It was different. Like I actually miss a lot of food. I miss Thai food in New Haven. Mm -hmm. I really miss Thai and Chinese food in New Haven because I think um, there was just a lot of options there and a lot of different types of restaurants. But yeah, even though um, New Mexican food probably, I don't know what it would most closely resemble, probably the food of like central Mexico, because um, regionally, you know, that's not too distant. But yeah, it's very different from like Tex-Mex or California Mexican food, like super different. Every time I go somewhere else like that, I like really can't stomach it. It's very hard. I'm like, no, I'm very elitist about my Mexican food. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny too. And I, now that because I think about it, and as you know, we're from California, 
And I'm sure you're right. Like, you know, the Mexican food here has got to be so different. So we need to come Mm -hmm. to New Mexico and really experience the authenticity, authentic. Authenticity. Authenticity. (laughs) Thank you. Of New Mexican food. So, all right, Danae, we're going to come hang out with you. Yeah, please do. (laughs) Where should we stay when we come to Albuquerque? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, one I haven't thought about too much. I would say... You know, I think Albuquerque is a pretty affordable place to travel for the most part. And that is mostly because we are so close to Santa Fe and that's where a lot of tourists want to go. And so a lot of people skip Albuquerque, which I think is a tragedy because I actually think that there's a lot to do here. And I think that I really enjoy visiting Santa Fe and there's a lot of people that are there whose families have been there for generations. Obviously, like I said, it's surrounded um, heavily by Pueblo communities, but I do think that there is a large section of Santa Fe that is very much built for tourism and and it doesn't always feel like it best uh, exemplifies, I think, like the culture of the whole state. And I think it, it may exemplify the culture of Santa Fe, which is great. But I think when a lot of people visit, they think Santa Fe is just pretty much all that's here. And I think that's something that I'm always like trying to debunk because I'm like, Santa Fe is also a really expensive place to travel. And there's a lot of like gentrification there. And there's a lot of issues um, in terms of housing and people who are not from that community coming in to live in it. And um, so our state definitely deals with those issues, but I think in Albuquerque, um, it's so much more spread out and there's actually a lot of places to stay and to, and to sort of visit and, and hang out within. And I think one of the cool places to visit in Albuquerque is really, um, old town. Albuquerque is sort of like the center of the city. It's a, it's an area that has a really complicated history as well. I think again, as a native person, like the way I see a city is very different from probably how a lot of other people see a city. Um, because I'm not as, I guess, interested in honoring like the founding of cities necessarily mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's often already communities there that were being displaced but um but there's a lot of history in those spaces and there's a lot that I think um can be learned from visiting those spaces and I think that Albuquerque has a lot of history in it and so yeah I think paying a visit to Old Town there are some cool um spots around there I think I think honestly Airbnb has really taken off here and a lot of people have I'm sure you hear that a lot especially with like the work that you all do and in terms of traveling like it's crazy to see how many Airbnbs have popped up and so I think that there's a lot of options in that sense I think a lot of people enjoy staying in the downtown area because it's right along Route 66 so you've got yeah it's like kind of historic and so uh Central Avenue is Route 66 and there's a lot of um, kind of like refurbished motels down there. There's um, some cool places uh, downtown like Hotel Andalus and there's also, um, you know, just it just depends. It's kind of like about doing your research on what part of the city you might want to see. But I think um, a lot of people come here for the balloon fiesta. So I also would probably be remiss to, uh, you know, not mention the balloon fiesta. And that is a big part of our economy. That's a big part of our city. And the balloon fiesta 
comes through every October. And so it's usually like the second week of October and there is a ton of tourism around that. And so a lot of people are staying, you know, in, in the area during that. We always know balloon fiesta time means there's going to be a lot of balloonists here. And it also means there's going to be a lot of spectators. So it's a beautiful time to live in Albuquerque because if you already live here, you kind of just get to see in your backyard, essentially, um, you know, beautiful landscape every day of balloons, just like in front of you, out in front of you. And we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of like air laws in Albuquerque that restrict people from building, um, tall buildings because we have, um, we protect our like horizon and our view. And like, I think, I, I don't know, I can't say for sure, but I imagine some of that actually comes from probably the historical significance of balloons in our hot air balloons in our community. And so, um, because that is such a driver of our economy. So anyways, the balloon fiesta is fabulous and really fun to attend. And I go every year and it's kind of like this cheesy, like you get up early in the morning and grab your hot, hot chocolate and breakfast burrito. And I think everyone who grew up here probably can relate to that experience of like waking up early to go to a balloon fiesta at least once, you know, somewhere along the way. And, uh, you get there at like five in the morning and, and you, you, it's dark and they'll do like the balloon dawn patrol. So you'll see some of them glow. And then as the sun comes up, you'll watch like, you know, hundreds of balloons take off around you and you're standing on the ground and it is just the coolest thing if you've never experienced it before. So that's one where, you know, the hotels will be sold out. So you got to plan early if you plan to come for the balloon fiesta. But I think it's like the best time of year to visit Albuquerque because our fall is beautiful. It's like cool, crisp, but also still a little warm. And it's just, a, it's just a good time to be here. <laughs> All right. You guys listening yeah. when you, when this comes out, it will be July. So you'll have a few months to plan your trip to Al- Albuquerque for the <laughs> balloon festival in October. That sounds fantastic. I definitely want to do that. That sounds. Yeah. Fun. It's, yeah. A, it's a really fun time. It would be, yeah. I can only imagine like being there on the ground, seeing that, you know, mm. just magnificent sight of all yeah. those colorful balloons. The mountains yeah, and if you live backdrop. here, you can like, you can grab bikes and you can bike along, you can bike actually in some parts of the Bosque and see Balloon Fiesta Park really well. And so there are like certain areas where if you, um, like my partner grew up in an area where it was like really easy to get to where the balloons were kind of taking off by bike. So there's a lot of fun, cool, secret things you can do if you like I think live here or are with somebody who lives here, but even if you're just going directly into the park to view it, it's, it's a pretty fun thing to be here for. And yeah, there's a lot going on that time of year too. That's really cool. If there's one thing that you have to see before you leave Albuquerque, what would it be? That is a good question. And I think, I think for me, I, maybe this is, I'm not trying to dodge it, but (laughs) I think for me, it's a sunset, which maybe is like kind of cheesy, but I really think you've got to position yourself to see a sunset while you're here because it is kind of like no other place I've ever been. Like uh, I've, I've done a lot of traveling myself when I was an admissions officer at Yale. And I still think that like just here in my hometown is like some of the best sunsets I've ever seen in my life. And so um, one of the places I like to like position myself is I like to go gra- grab a prickly pear margarita from uh, the 
I guess it's like a rooftop bar and restaurant at uh, Hotel Park Central. And they have a rooftop there where if you go on the right day, usually either in the spring or the fall, um, really honestly, balloon fiesta time is like a great time to see a good sunset. <laughs> July, August, September, October, those are like sunset packed months. And I feel like if you're sitting up there, the view is like absolutely unbeatable and it is just a totally open horizon and it is like pink and purple and orange and red. And it's, I've just never seen it anywhere else. <laughs> and so I'm really, I, especially so consistently. So I'm always like, if you can come to Albuquerque once, or if we're hosting people, I always make sure that they get to go see a sunset with us somewhere. That sounds amazing. That's one of my favorite things to do too, Danae. I love when we travel, I'm always like, what's the sun like? And that sounds incredible. Yeah. Especially with the mountains. Cause like I said, it like bounces off the mountains and they're very pink. (laughs) Yeah. It it sounds like a a supersized version of what we did when we were in uh, like Utah you know, and oh, the, kind yeah. of the red rock, you know, and some yeah. of those, you know, canyons that we were watching the sun rise in and, you know, yeah. And the so, sunset too. Yeah. And the yeah. sunset. So this has to be like the whole mountainscape has mm. to be amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a great place to grow up. And like the mountains are kind of my visual home base and also my directional home base. I'm like, okay, the East is to the mountains and that's how I situate myself here in Albuquerque. <laughs> so yeah. And, and, you know, my partner, like I got engaged in November and he proposed to me along the Bosque and I, we were taking photos, but I didn't know I was in the middle of a proposal. <laughs> and and it, afterwards the photos are beautiful because it's actually the Sandia mountains behind us. And you can see like the bright blue mountains there. So the landscape itself there like definitely means a lot to me. Yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. I, saw I, some of those. I know I was going to say, I was trying to wait for the right moment to jump in um, when you were talking about your partner, but congratulations. That looked like Thank such you. <laughs> a special moment, those pictures that you shared. And I was just like, oh my gosh. So um, what's next for you guys? Are you going to get, you know, when are you thinking about getting married? We don't know. Hopefully um, I, we were hoping for 2022, but we're just trying to let things mellow out um, as we continue to navigate like the state of the pandemic and, yeah. um, and what's happening. And so for us, it's, we're not in a rush, you know, we've been together for nine years now. Yeah. And so we, we've been together since I was a sophomore and he was a freshman in college. And so, um, you know, it's been a long haul. We've lived in like three places together. This is like our third house. Like we, we kind of understand we have two dogs. Like <laughs> Our life is pretty, pretty stable um, at this point. And so we're really excited to just try to plan as far ahead as we need to, to make sure that as many people that we love can be in attendance. So that's the goal. That's wonderful. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Danae, as far as running stores, like a brick and mortar store, where do you go to get your gear in Albuquerque? Yeah, that's pretty easy. Actually. We have, um, a pretty, we have a, a mainstay local sh- local shop here that does a good job of like supporting high school athletes and people around and it's heart and soul. I would, I would definitely recommend going to heart and soul. They, um, yeah, they're just a, a, a great local business and they are supporting the community all the time and employ a lot of local runners. And that's where I usually get my shoes and that's where my dad gets his shoes and gear. And so I think we, we do our best to, um, to, be patrons at local (laughs) establishments as much as possible. Um, and I know there's a couple other locally owned shops, but I would say heart and soul. Definitely. Um, it is literally the, the heart and soul of the running community. (laughs) Um, so yeah. (laughs) 
what about your favorite race? Like if someone wanted to plan their, their trip there around a race or races, what would you recommend? Yeah. Uh, I think it's a little different for me because I'm not as avid of a trail runner. So I will uh, say this with sort of that, that uh, disclaimer that if you're a trail runner, you're probably going to want to at some point check out the La Luz um, trail run. But for me, I really love running in the middle of the city. So <laughs> I like running the uh, Duke city 5k and they actually host uh sort of concurrently the Duke city marathon, half marathon. I think it might even be a 10 K and a five K pretty big event. It's definitely the biggest race we have. I would venture to say in the whole state throughout the whole year. And so that's also in October and that's a really fun one just because there's a ton of people running in it. It's a, it's sort of like a feel good, high spirited, um, community event where you're running through downtown Albuquerque. And so I love running the Duke city every year. And I think that's just like a good, a good, you know, race to, to jump into if you're looking for something, you know, in the fall. That sounds like the fall is where yeah. it's at. Like we come, we're going to do is. the perfect time of year here. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be there for the balloon festival and the sunsets and lots of good mm-hmm. food. Yeah. Soul. It's usually like a week after the balloon fiesta. So it's like always a fun time of year. Do you have a good health, maybe not health food store or kind of a grocery store that's kind of caters to like all this specialty runner need type stuff that, you know, runners might be looking for a last moment. Hmm. That's a good question. I really like just generally the selection at La Montanita Co-op, which is like a local grocery store. It's Mm -hmm. small. There's two, there's two locations of it. Um, and I think they, they have just like nice, fresh, you know, produce and stuff like that. And, and you can also grab like a quick burrito if you want, or like some coffee and things like that. But for me, I think I'm lucky because, you know, we do have a whole foods that's like easily accessible and stuff like that. So I think if you're a runner, like I'm sure there's several places you could, you could find that heart and soul would also be a good place to just pick up a last minute. Like, Oh, I'm, I need, you know, some energy stuff or I need something for fueling. Um, definitely like a running store, but yeah, I would say that. That's awesome. This is so much fun. We can't wait to come to Albuquerque and like go on a run with (laughs) you and hang out. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Danae. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the cinnamon rolls and the burritos and the prickly pear margarita. I can make a prickly pear margarita too. So I've been perfecting that while I've been at home. So definitely, definitely happy to uh, host you all if you ever come through here. But yeah, thanks so much for having me. And it's been been fun to rep my city today. (laughs) Yes. Well, before we let our guests go, we like to always ask the last question, which is if you could run anywhere in the world where would it be and why hmm I think for me wow that is that is a great question because you could go with something that you get to run often or something that you don't ever get to run I think for me I'm going to go, I I often say that my favorite places are in New Mexico, and I think that is still very true here, but um, I really want to go for a run in New Zealand. So I'm going to, I'm going to go on a limb here and kind of do my, my wish list instead, (laughs) which um, my partner spent a lot of time in New Zealand and uh, worked and uh, lived just with 
friends he has there in the Maori community. So there's like a strong indigenous community there. And I think I've just heard some really amazing stories. And I know that he has really great friends there. And I've always really wanted to visit New Zealand. And I've only ever seen pictures of it. And I think it looks like a beautiful place to go running. And I it's totally different from where I'm from. Like I live in a place where it's mostly, um, mostly like natural brown sort of landscape and so it's it's not particularly green in in the area I'm in I know other parts of New Mexico are but for me the total opposite experience would probably be somewhere in New Zealand or somewhere near water I would really love to run in that type of environment yeah New Zealand has been a popular answer and I totally agree with you it sounds beautiful um, well, Danae, where can everybody find you and everyone go listen to Grounded, the Grounded podcast with Danae Doremi. Go check it out, you guys. But where can everybody, where else can we find you? Yeah. So, um, mostly I'm on Instagram. That's where I spend most of my time. A very, uh, very millennial of me. I'm like living on Instagram <laughs> and, uh, you can find me at Danae, D I N E E underscore pink 22, which is like, I still have my username from basically high school. Um, 22 is my high school basketball number and, uh, same username on Twitter. And then as you mentioned, uh, you can find me at grounded pod as well, which kind of links to both. So at grounded pod on Twitter and Instagram, and then also on Facebook. So you can follow the show on a number of different platforms and I'm on all of the major podcast platforms as well. So, yeah. All right. And I, I have to it. tell you, Danae, I really appreciate and enjoy the intro of your podcast. Just oh, the way you. <laughs> you speak to it, it's, it's, it's almost like this kind of like signal, like, Hey, I'm, I'm here anybody who understands what I'm saying, I, I want you to know you're welcome in this running space and we're grounded. I, I really thank you. That. Yeah. Yeah. It's in my language. Um, just my Navajo introduction. And I think it makes space for other native runners to, to be able to, um, just feel comfortable. And that I think in a lot of our indigenous cultures, like introducing yourself is a really, um, common thing and something we do, you know, with our families to identify relations or with our friends to identify relations. So yeah, that's really a natural way of me identifying relations. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us and we'll see you out there on the road sometime soon, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you again. Bye Danae. Danae Dorme, thank you so much for joining us on the show. You truly are grounded in running your nation and your hometown of Albuquerque. You and your dad sound like a great model for a father-daughter, coach-athlete relationship. Hearing about your journey from Albuquerque to Yale, both in and outside of athletics, was absolutely fascinating. Not only that, I personally am looking forward to the great runs, the balloons, the sunset, and all the food that Albuquerque has to offer. Everyone, follow Danae on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Danae, D-I-N-E-E underscore Pink 22. And enjoy her podcast, Grounded with Danae Dorme. Come follow us at Sweet Run, Nat Runs Far, and on SweetRun.com. A huge thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring the show. It's time to change the way that we're doing things with our training. So check out the Essentials Package. It's $189.00. Use the code SWEETRUN to get 25% off, get your blood taken, get the results back, and find out 
what is going on inside your body this summer. Get ready to crush your training, feel better as an athlete, and add to your performance. Go and take advantage of this offer. Join us next week for another great conversation with an awesome runner living in a great location. We'll see you then. We will see you then.